Almighty and loving God, may we sit with these words that we have just heard. May they jolt us into a quickened awareness of our part and our responsibilities in the world in which you have placed us. May they remind us of your justice and look for your mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you had the experience of uh, driving along the side of the road or driving along the road and see those signs coming up to say that there is some road work ahead. And as you get to the road work, there's a group of workers, well, one person working, and a circle of others around giving advice as they watch on. And uh, I suspect there's various other variations of that type of theme as we explore, as we reflect on our own life and occasions when perhaps we have been at work doing something and we receive advice from someone else. Maybe it's when we're driving a car and someone else who happens to be in the car might be giving us some suggestions as to how we might go about our driving. I wonder at times whether we do a similar response to God. At times, perhaps some of our prayers are just by way of giving God a few suggestions as to how things ought to be. And I wonder whether God's response is the same as us when we are receiving advice. You know, at times with all patience, we just do the right thing. We nod, thank you for your advice, and we just ignore it. Or other times we just want to have some time to ourselves and hope that whoever it is just goes away. I wonder when it comes to God. We've been looking at God's mission plan revealed and we'll continue to do so for quite some time because it is a big mission plan. It is a wonderful and rich one. And in coming weeks we'll explore where that takes us through Easter. We've been describing it as Shalom, that wonderful Hebrew word that does mean peace, but it means so much more than that by way of, of uh, things being as they are intended to be, flourishing, growth, wholeness, a fruitfulness. And as we've begun to see in the recent last couple of Sundays, and certainly today, we look out at the world and say, this is not the way things are. Things are not as they were intended to be. So in today's reflection, as we look at Genesis chapter 6, I pose the question, if you were God and you were looking out at the messiness, the evil in the world, what would you do about it? Now, a number of you... um, may have heard me use the illustration, but I'll use it again to pick it up because it's a a good one. A number of years ago when I was teaching an education class, a special um, religious education class back in New South Wales, it was a year eight class, and uh, I would have this one quite regularly, so it's um, one that's familiar in my mind, but I do remember one particular response which I have uh, mentioned before. 
The question I asked was, what's wrong with the world? Let's make a list. And it did not take long for us to fill a whiteboard of all the things that were not as God intended them to be, not the way it ought to be. And the vast majority of that list were, had been caused by humans, by people, men and women, and societies and cultures and a whole range of other factors that contributed to that. It does get down to some of the questions as to where do these things come from? And there is a desire to blame shift, to point to the other, as we've seen the last couple of weeks, as a a deep impulse, and to point to them over there at others, maybe other cultures, other societies, other parts of Adelaide, other parts of uh, of the world. And as we go through our Lenten journey, we need to resist that temptation because Lent is about self-reflection first and foremost. To slip in and to pointing the finger at others is actually a lazy process unless we're willing to go to look into the mirror ourselves and to realise that that mix, that complexity of good and evil, of things that are good and right and of God and things that are less so is true for every one of us. So I asked the question, of all the things on the board, what do you think people are responsible for? And usually it's about 95% of the things on the board and even things like tsunamis and earthquakes and floods and things, there's still inequity around those things that some nations are able to mitigate against them and to provide resources quickly to assist and others not so. If you were God, what would you do? And there's no easy answer, is there? We could slip into, or we'll make the naughty people do the right thing. So you push the question a bit further. So just who are those evil people, those naughty people? And we point the finger. And we realise, well, that isn't quite so easy to, to delineate. You can almost imagine when God is about his work, receiving advice from a group of us, and God looks at us and saying, so what am I going to do with you then? And suddenly we reframe it. In that class that I recall, and I've mentioned it before, one lad put his hand up and he said, you know, if I was God and looked at all the mess of the world and everything that's been messed up, I would just send a flood and wipe it out. (laughs) And he had no idea about the flood narrative in the Bible because it sort of makes sense. You look at something and you say, it's so messed up, let me just throw it out and... Start again. The passage we've just heard from Genesis 6 has a remarkable response. God looks and sees the the spread of evil, of wrongdoing, of rebellion that started with the disobedience of Adam and Eve and went into the family through Cain, then extended out through all people, all whole society. Wherever God looked, things were not as they were meant to be. 
things were wrong, things were evil. And our translations struggle. The one we've used today is a little bit better than some others. So God regretted having created humanity. Actually, the strength of the word is God repented. God changed his mind and said, no, this wasn't a good idea. I think I need to wipe this out because I cannot see this continuation of this evil that is just uh, becoming prolific. And that is a right and and just response. When something is not right, when something is unjust, when something is just wrong, you can't just ignore it. And you certainly can't say, oh, it doesn't really matter. Because we know it does matter. So God said, I will reverse creation. Where creation was the parting of the waters and the, the rising of land as a place of safety, a place to, to, to inhabit and to nurture and to cultivate. God said, I'm going to reverse that. I'm going to bring the waters back. I remember a number of years. It's funny, I've had one of those weeks where a whole lot of vivid memories has come to mind. Um, I remember when I was four and a half. It must be one of my very earliest memories, and it has stayed with me. I had just started prep school, St. Kennigan's in Auckland, and we had a very tall headmaster called Mr. Chalmers. And Mr. Chalmers came into our class, and of course we all sort of noticed him in the back of the class, as you do, on our best behaviour. And uh, eventually he came forward to the start of the class, the front of the class, and as he had heard various things going on, I don't know why he raised it. I've got no idea why he raised it. But he says, but is such an ugly word. But is such an ugly word. And you must never start a sentence with but. It's taken me more than 57 years to get over that cringing <laughs> instruction. And there are times when but actually is an ugly word. Times when I hear an apology from a public leader, perhaps from a politician or maybe someone who's a, uh, a celebrity or someone in the, in the public media. And they may have an apology. And we hear it and we think, this is good, this is important. And then we hear the word but. And we cringe. <laughs> And then we say, don't go there. No buts. Because often then you try and explain to mitigate. But what about them? But what about this? But you need to remember that. On those occasions, but actually is not a good word. It's a word to be avoided. Yet, notice how I avoided the word but. (laughs) Yet, When God uses the word but, it is a good word. And at the end of our reading, where God has said, I've I've repented, I've changed my mind, I'm going to undo this creation, I'm going to wipe it out, the very last verse starts with the word but. But God saw Noah. 
That but changes everything. It's even more powerful when it comes to the flood narrative. We're not going to actually have the whole narrative, but next week we're going to pick it up after the flood. But it's, the flood narrative is written in a beautiful, what's called a palastrophic form. You know how flood waters rise up to a certain point and then they come down again? The whole narrative is written that way. It's structured so that step by step the, the flood builds up, the, heart, the, um, the storm rises, and there's a turning point. And the turning point is just a handful of words that starts with but. (laughs) The turning point in the flood narrative, but God remembered Noah. (laughs) And so this act of judgment, this act of wiping out reversed and the waters began to recede. The rain stopped and we come down to a new beginning, which is where we'll pick it up next week as well. So as we hear this passage, we should not be the ones reverting to but. We need to recognise and sit with those realities and sadly it is true of every culture, of every nation, of all different demographics, for those who are highly educated and those who haven't had no education. It is true of all of us. One of the profound things I find about reading the scriptural analysis is it doesn't say, well, thank goodness we're of this nation, this people, unlike those unworthy people elsewhere. There is so much of that in our world. But the Bible says, no, it's true of all people. But God's work of salvation, God's work of redemption, is also for all people, for all nations, for all cultures, every language not only are capable and invited, but will be saved and redeemed in God's grace as well. So I'm getting over that word, but. I'm gradually using it a bit more without cringing quite so much. But I hear it when it's from God, and I hear it as words of grace. Loving God, may we hear your word, your but in this world, that did not settle for reversing creation, that you are a God of redemption, a God working in and through that messiness and all that it brings to see that your creational purposes will reach their goal, that your hand reaches deep into our own lives and our own hearts and as great and enormous as our world that we look out upon. Lord, at this time, we ask for a big but from you, (laughs) that you will intervene, that you will be present, that you will be doing your work of salvation and redemption and transformation, of renewal. In your Son's name, in the power of your Spirit, and to your greater glory. Amen.